The China Current continues its special coverage on the coronavirus outbreak. Go to our social media at the China Current and our website for interviews, videos, and podcasts. I'm James Chow. Thank you. One year ago, Dr. Takeshi Kasai was elected to lead the Western Pacific of the World Health Organization, a region of 37 countries and areas, from China to the Cook Islands, from Australia to American Samoa, from Papua New Guinea to the Philippines, where he's based. At its heart, though, are 1.9 billion people, a quarter of humanity, and vastly different health needs as a region and as micro communities within that vast grouping. I've known Dr. Kasai for a number of years and have seen firsthand how he puts people at the core of his work and his compassion. So it was no surprise that when we spoke about how COVID-19 is impacting the region, he talked about a range of issues that this complex global pandemic is confronting. My first question would be, what's、mm. the past couple of months been like for you and your team? Well, James, this is.、Uh... One of the toughest、uh, public health event I've、uh, responding、um, in its、uh, magnitude and speed. I think it's swiftly and dramatically changing the people's life, and it's、uh, very obvious that、uh, health is so closely linked with our life. But health is also、uh, so central. To the、uh, socio-economic and function of the society, and obviously, we're worried. We're worried, observing the way that virus is spreading around the world, and then I'm concerned about the potential that it would over potentially it will overwhelm the health system of the countries with the、uh, limited capacity. But in the same time, I'm also very much encouraged by the member states, the countries in in these regions, putting their best effort to try to contain or slow down the the spread of the viruses, such as Singapore, Hong Kong, Korea, Japan, and many other countries. They're really trying their best, and then they're really making the virus not explode. As a large-scale community outbreak, and I'm also very much heartened by the many people, including the frontline healthcare worker, they're putting a sleepless effort in trying to help people and responding to these diseases. And I've chosen really responding from day one, but knowing all those people's effort. I wanted to make sure that、uh, all our team would continue our best effort to work together within the sol- with the solidarity to respond to these diseases. I mean, you have an incredible team. I know that because I've had the pleasure of being at your regional headquarters a number of times in Manila, in the Philippines. Just tell us a little bit about what this team is doing and how they're critical to the response in. Fighting the fires on multiple fronts, not just one. Yes, we are responding into the multiple front lines. But then, the, let me put the four. Basically, we wanted to connect. First, we wanted to connect、uh, our countries in sharing their informations for us to understand this virus. But now, we're also trying to connect these countries to share the experience of the response, so that we can identify effective response. 
We also trying to connect the expert and again the countries to come up with the a good tool so that the countries can come up with the proper response. End of February, we launched the guidance document for helping member states prepare for the large-scale community outbreak. We developed this guidance document through such a process. And third, we're also again connecting institutions and the researchers to expedite the new tool development, such as diagnostic, effective treatment, and preventions, including vaccines. We're also contacting the producer, manufacturer of uh, equipment such as mask and gown or testing kit to support countries to receive those globally scarce uh, resources. And then fourth, lastly, we're also trying to connect countries and partners to work together to fight against the, the rumor so that people can access to the right information and know how to protect themselves. You say that WHO has been responding since day one, but in truth, WHO has warned countries and the world about this long before day one. In fact, for many years, uh, it's talked about that next global health emergency. Does it frustrate you as a key health leader in the world today? that even now some governments are slow to wake up to the alarming inaction that Dr. Tedros, the Director General of WHO has spoken of, let alone not heeded the calls that WHO sounded years ago. After we had a bitter experience in 2000 SARS, entire world discussed how to improve our capacity and come up with the revised a framework called revised international health regulation, which is now supported by all member states in sharing their information of diseases. And China, once they detected this event, they shared this information to the world. And once they identified this as a new coronavirus and then identified the gene sequence, they quickly shared this information to the world that allows every country to prepare for this event. And compared to that period, countries are really, really uh, improved their capacity. But then this event is bringing even more difficult challenges. For example, today, the volume and speed of the people's and then the goods movements are much, much faster. That allows this virus to spread much faster speed. And not just the virus, but we are now fighting with the informations. The informations, particularly that they not the necessary, the correct informations are spreading much faster than the, the virus. People are getting informations many different ways. And that makes us a very difficult. So while we are really, really prepared, invested and prepared, but then the challenge we are facing is much more complex and then we really have to continue to respond with our best capacity. I think at this stage, we should remind everyone to look for at WHO Wipro, which is WPRO, and also look up Dr. Takeshi Kasai for your own personal 
Twitter because I know you're updating all the figures for your countries and your areas up on there multiple times a day. Uh, Takeshi, let's look at something else because you mentioned China. China is no more important, no less important than any of your countries and areas. However, it is the biggest in terms of population size, which made its tragedy in Wuhan pretty horrific. At one point, seeing 15,000 new infections in a single day, over 80,000 in total over that outbreak period. Things have turned around there. We've seen that very clearly. I think today, as we speak to you, there's not a single locally transmitted case in the whole of Hubei province, which includes Wuhan and many other cities besides. Um, Can you just give us one singular experience that the people in Wuhan had and implemented that turned things around? And how is that applicable to all these countries way outside of the Western Pacific region that are experiencing outbreaks of their own right now? When we talk about China, I wanted to really first express my uh, deepest condolences to those who lost their life with these diseases. It's not just a number. I know behind this number, their people and their family. And I also wanted to thank frontline responder, but not just the frontline responder, everybody in China who involved in this response. And back to your questions. I think it's not a single element, but it's actually the combination of element is bringing China today. And as you rightly said, the whole of government approach, but more importantly, the community the community really participate in a, the government effort and make entire China effort was one of the very important uh, factors. And second, I also wanted to pick up very important element is that the China is big and they didn't really made every corner same approach. Instead, they really adjusted their response according to the uh, situations of uh, uh, the locality, which is very important. And thirdly, they really pay attention how to protect the vulnerable. Vulnerable includes the elderly and also those who had an underlying condition such as hypertension or diabetes, but they also pay attention how to protect the healthcare worker. If people rush to the hospital, that will make hospital or healthcare workers vulnerable and they provided a proper equipment and then to make a healthcare worker protected. So it's not a single element, but a multiple element. But I wanted to really pick up that the community, the community solidarity was a very important component. That's very, very interesting. So not just one element, they were different, possibly in different areas, and they adjusted as they went along, plus the community element. So it was also whole of government, but also whole of society, as you said. Yes. I would like to ask you a question on behalf of many people around the world who may not feel properly supported by the leadership in their cities, in their villages, in their countries even. If they feel that they're looking around the world right now and everybody else is taking very tough measures, but they feel that they're being left behind in some way, which is what your SDG badge, you're wearing the Sustainable Development Goal badge on your blazer, that talks about leaving no one behind. If they feel that they're being left behind at this very moment, 
very simply, how can they best protect themselves and just the people in their own home? Let's start off with that. I think this is a very important question. But let me start this way. I fully understand uh, people's, you know, they worry. They worry because this is a new diseases and they, they don't know where, where this goes. So I totally understand this. But what is important is that uh, individual effort can protect yourself, but not just yourself, but protect uh, your family, your friends, and then your colleague, your community, and then the, you're vulnerable. So what we need is a some kind of a, a solidarity, solidarity at the community level. Of course, the basis is family and then the community. But then we also need a second layer of the solidarity that is a, you know, helping the community, helping government and government, not just the health sector, but whole government under the leadership. And then the third layer is that uh, now the virus is spreading around the world. Uh, spreading around the world means it goes into also the country where they have a limited capacity. And we need really the solidarity and support to those countries who has a limited capacity. And at the end, it's infectious diseases. There's no boundary. So every country needs to do their best that would contribute to the international solidarity. And the basis is a individual effort. So this is a very important question. And I really wanted to encourage every individual to make those simple precautions, such as washing hand regularly well, or covering your mouth in case you are coughing, or keeping distance to the people who is coughing, or in case if you have symptoms, stay home and then to contact your local authority. That would help you protect it, but also family and then your friends, colleagues and the community. You talk about SDG, no one left behind. Actually, this is a very important uh, question. Now, when we are responding to the cluster case, basically we concentrate where we found the case. But then when we start to prepare for large scale community outbreak, basically we need to prepare all corners of the country. And to prepare all corners of the countries means we really have to frame this response under the universal health coverage to make sure that we don't leave anybody behind. We have to make sure that the vulnerable will be protected. And then the, we have to provide the services to those difficult to reach so that the, the, the protections would go all corner of the country. That's the meaning of preparing for the large scale community outbreak. Something that's been blown out of proportion. This is not a hoax. This is not something that is just going to pass. This is a matter of being infected or not, and potentially dying and living. There are many people around the world involved in responding to, to this uh, COVID-19 uh, response. But it's unlikely this virus will disappear next week or even next month. And again, it's, what is very important is to make sure 
or make sure you have access to the right information and know how to protect yourself. And I totally understand how people are worried about these diseases. In fact, at the, even my house, COVID-19 is a regular topic. But again, what is important is that uh, you do simple practice as your regular habit so that you can protect yourself, your community, your family and your community, your friends, your colleagues. That's what we are really, really a, a, uh, recommending to the people. The, the picture is changing around the world and people will look at um, places like Singapore, Hong Kong, mainland China, uh, Japan and say, well, the corner is being turned there. Let's speak to the people in your own region, to your 1.9 billion people. Is there the opportunity of a spike because of imported cases now? Could there be a second wave? Should they stay as vigilant as they had been in January, February? They've been continuing their best effort in their community to really make these diseases a suppress. What they're doing is try to find the case as early as possible and then do a contact tracing, active surveillance, and isolate the case, quarantining those close contact. Together with the, a series of a so-called non-pharmaceutical intervention or public health interventions. And that's what they're doing. And as you rightly said, now they have to continue to keep that vigilance to the infections within the community, but now also to that uh, imported case so that they can continue to make their infections suppressed. Let me quickly ask you about the name COVID-19. This was put together for a number of reasons, one of them being that COVID literally meant coronavirus in 19 for the year 2019 when it first occurred to the best of our knowledge. But Dr. Tedros and you said uh, a couple of weeks ago that this name was created to avoid stigmatizing certain areas, certain peoples, certain countries. Yet we hear some people continue to call it a Chinese virus, a Wuhan virus. I've heard even worse, a Kung flu virus. Uh, this is not just stigmatizing, but their profile issues that are involved. We've seen in many countries and communities people being attacked verbally and physically, violently, because of their East Asian descent, because of their association with China. What's your message here? The name of this disease is, is COVID-19. From day one, we're saying that stigmatizations is a very dangerous element in fighting these diseases. Linking these diseases to specific people or locality would make people difficult to access to the services or have certain consequences to bring this response very difficult. The name of this disease is COVID-19. If we look back to one year ago, just one year ago when you took office, when you were elected by your member states to be the regional director to represent not only the 
countries and areas, but to represent the people, the individuals, their families, their communities. Well, when you took office, you made a bold promise, and that was to make WHO, and I'm quoting you directly, more responsive in a world where rapid shifts are challenging everyday lives. Does this pandemic change that? This is a very important question. We've been really discussing one year and then concluded the world is dynamically changing and then we have to prepare for the future. And one of the future that we identified that we have to prepare is the health security. And this is now no longer future, but we are now in the middle of that future that we have discussed. Every time we respond, we always identify the lessons and continue to improve our capacity. SARS 2003, we noted that the information sharing among the countries or the capacity of each countries is needed to make a strong response as a regions and at the global level. That made international health regulations revise and that is now helping countries to share the information. In Ebola response in Africa, we noted that how important to listen to the community and how important that partnership is making a much a robust a response. And we also learned that uh, we need a, some global platform and expediting a research and development. And that allows us to develop R&D blueprint, which we are now using for expediting the new tool development. And definitely this COVID-19 response would give us a, a, another challenge but then this is also the time for us to really draw, uh, identify the lessons and continue to further improve our capacity. But one thing I wanted to pick up is that uh, the future we uh, picked up in that discussion is not only health security, but also such as a non-communicable diseases, including hypertension and diabetes. This is the future we need to prepare. The aging society, this is also the future we need to prepare. The, the drug resistance, this is also the future we need to prepare. Health impact of the climate change, these also need to be prepared. So I think we need to continue to prepare for the future that we identified in the past one year. So in fact, none of these issues that you just raised are separate, detached from the pandemic that we're experiencing. They all move in one circle, the circle like you're wearing like we're wearing on our blazers right now for the SDGs. They're all connected. Exactly. You know, those who we analyze vulnerable is the one who is a, a age above 60 or those who had an underlying conditions. And then the, when we talk about the large scale community outbreak, we have to make sure that the uh, patient's fast way or the a care pathway to be prepared all corner of the country. So we have to make sure nobody left behind. And it's so important to frame our response also under the universal health coverage, which is part of uh, SDG. And that's what uh, we need to continue to put our effort. I know that you always think first and foremost about people, about the most vulnerable in our society. So thank you for 
making a big point on that. And a quick reminder to everybody, you can follow the Western Pacific region, which is at WHOWPRO. And we're going to bring this up on screen now. Dr. Takeshi Kasai's own Twitter is at Takeshi underscore Kasai. Dr. Kasai, thank you very much, but also good luck. And I'd like to say also here, thank you to everybody at WHO in Western Pacific and around the world for being the people, the individuals, the family behind this headline over here. Thank you. Thank you very much, James, for this opportunity.